or changed the world are remembered for the impact of their lives. That's the norm. Talk about what you've done with your life, how you've affected things, changes you've made, things you've introduced, inventions. But Jesus, the man who more than any other person changed the face of world history, is remembered as much for what he achieved when he died as when he was alive, perhaps even more so. And a quick scan of the Bible bears this out. So about a third of the Gospels are about the death of Jesus. Half of Mark's Gospel is about his death. Much of the rest of the New Testament explains why he died and the significance of his resurrection. In fact, every book of the New Testament, except for the book of James, talks about the resurrection and the death of Jesus. And this is because the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the gospel. It's the good news. That's what the word gospel means, the good news about Jesus and what he came to do for the whole of mankind and creation. And so what I want to do today is actually just remind you of the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Now I say remind... I remind everybody, even if you've never heard it before, because it's a very old story, the story of the gospel. And I'm going to look at one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the gospel is basically summed up into three different things. Firstly, that Jesus died for our sins. Secondly, that he was buried. And thirdly, on the third day, he was raised again to life. So let's just read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 to 8. I'll read it to you. So now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom, at the time of writing, are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would bring the gospel to life for us today. This good news, I pray that as I speak about it, it would just light in our hearts the good news of what you've done for us, Lord. We just pray that. In Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel, the good news of Jesus. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. That's what Paul says. And we all need to be reminded of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes. That's what the gospel is. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it's on which you've taken your stand. We need to take our stand in the gospel. It's by the gospel that we fall or stand before God. And by this gospel, Paul says again, you are saved. 
And we all need to be saved, whether we know it or not. Everybody that ever lived, other than Jesus, who didn't need to be saved, we all need to be saved. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's done wrong. Everybody's broken the law of God. Even Christians. We've all sinned and we continue to sin. So the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, it's actually for believers as well. And we all therefore need to be reminded of it constantly, we need to learn to apply it to ourselves, we need to preach it to ourselves every day. We need the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for a few years now, and I find that I need the gospel even more than I used to. I seem to need to know God's forgiveness and his work in my life ever more than I did. And so here it is, there's three things that Paul mentions here. Firstly, the first cornerstone or big part of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. Really simple. Jesus died for our sins. He didn't die for his own. Jesus never committed any sins his entire life. And he died so that we don't have to. He died so that we don't have to. You see, there are consequences for living a life without God. People think that they can do what they like. No, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll sort it out with him when I get there. But actually, what the Bible says is that the wages of sin is death. There are consequences for living the way that we live. And it's because of our sin, the Bible teaches us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. The wrath of God. And that's why Jesus had to die. Now, the wrath of God, that sounds a bit kind of, you know, big and scary and all the rest, but what does that really mean? Well, the wrath of God, what does it look like? Well, actually, that's what Good Friday is all about. See, Jesus, on that day, took the punishment that was ours. With every crack of the whip, as it ripped through his flesh, with every blow of the rod, with every nail that was hammered into his body, the wrath of God was borne by Jesus. Now make no mistake, this was brutal. You know, the cross was such an extreme form of torment that the Romans only used it on the worst of criminals and it was never used on a Roman citizen. And, you know, we can have a bit of a sanitised view of what the cross is about. We see a nice wooden cross. It looks very nice. But actually, it was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of punishment, capital punishment. Just in the week, we uh, watched a bit of the DVD, the Jesus film. I don't know if you've seen that, with Robert Powell. It's quite an old film, but we just watched that little section about the the, resurrect, the crucifixion of Jesus. And it seems like just in a few minutes, there's a couple of thumps and grunts, and then the next scene we see Jesus with ruffled hair and a few scratches on his back. And that's kind of meant to look like the crucifixion. And it's nothing like that at all. We went on to talk about the more accurate portrayal of the passion of the Christ, Oh dear, I don't know if you've watched that film, and we all sat around and admitted that it was too brutal for most of us to endure, but actually it's much more accurate. So one of the the guys in our group said that he'd been so distressed watching that film because 
they saw Jesus being beaten and it's kind of scourged from head to toe with this whip all the way down the back of his body. And they thought, well, that is awful. And then just as you're getting to the end of that, they turned the body over and they continued to do the same. And it went on and it went on and it went on, just ripping his body to shreds. I'm not saying that just to be dramatic or sensational, but I want us to understand that the cross was a really awful, macabre thing. And Isaiah, in the Old Testament, actually came up with a very accurate description, prophetically, of the crucifixion of Christ. He says this in Isaiah 52. He says, he will be raised, Jesus will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured that it was beyond any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. He was unrecognizable because of the beatings that he sustained. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Now most people would have actually died from the beatings alone. But Jesus couldn't die. I don't know if you realize that, but Jesus couldn't die. He was the Lord of life. And Jesus says, no one can take my life from me. He says, I lay it down willingly. And that's why he had to cry out on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because unless he'd willingly done so, unless he'd willingly died, he'd have just gone on living, a kind of living hell of suffering and torment. And actually, Jesus' suffering was exactly that. It was the very definition of hell. It was kind of played out for us to see. Torment, torture, agonizing pain, but no relief of death. I don't know if you realize that it's the grace of God to us that when we suffer intense pain, we pass out. There's relief in that. We escape it for a moment. We sleep. We go unconscious. But for Jesus, there wasn't even that. Jesus suffered and died for our sin so that we didn't have to. He went through hell and in hell, into hell, so that we didn't have to. He cried out from the cross. So much was his experience like that of hell that he cried out from the cross, Father, why have you left me? Because for the first time in his existence, because before the beginning of time in eternity, it's the first time that Jesus, the Son, had ever been separated from Father God because of sin, the sin that he took on. Father, why have you left me? Because actually hell is the place ultimately where God is not. And Jesus suffered And he died for our sins so that we didn't have to. He died in our place so that we don't have to go through that. And he did this because of love. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave willingly his only son. And Jesus did it. He went through that whole process to demonstrate that love. He said, greater love has no man than this. I'm going to lay my life down and show you just how much I love you. And if you don't know anything else today, God loves you. 
just the most wonderful thing that God loves us. He loves us so much that he laid down his life for us. He went through that suffering. Jesus suffered so that you didn't have to. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus died to demonstrate the love of God to each one of us. And by this gospel, we are saved. So are we saved? Are you saved? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you acknowledged your sin and the pain that Jesus endured for you? And if you have, are you making the most of it? Are you making the most of what Jesus has done? Are you holding firmly or have you believed in vain? Because there's a sense in which we can be Christians for years and we don't fully realise and accept what Jesus has done for us. That he has forgiven us all our sins. He died for our sins. We forget it. We get so comfortable with the idea. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel and what Jesus has done. So that's the first thing. Jesus died for our sin. The second thing, Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. And Jesus was buried because he was dead. (laughs) He was fully dead. You see, you only put dead people in graves, hopefully. Now, the Roman soldiers knew what they were doing, and they, they put a dead man in a grave. He had been beaten, he'd been tortured, he'd been crucified. The treatment, as I've explained, was cruel and barbaric, but he endured it so that he could pay the full penalty of our sin because he loved us more than he loved his own life. He gave up his spirit, he bowed his head, and he died. He entered into that realm absolutely. He entered into death. He didn't fake it. He didn't go into a trance and hold his breath. He died. He died. And one of the reasons that we know that this is true is from a, a fascinating piece of evidence that's actually found in John chapter 19, which many scholars now say that from a medical point of view proves beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus was actually dead, just in case you weren't sure. And it's this, it says this, but when they came to Jesus, the soldiers went around the cross at a certain point. They wanted to make sure that all the people on the cross were dead before the Sabbath came. They wanted that cleared out of the way. So what they would do is they would go around and break the legs of the people that were still alive. There were two other people crucified at the same time as Jesus. Those two men were still holding on for dear life because they didn't want to die. We don't want to die, do we? We don't want to die. These men didn't want to die. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. It says that one of the soldiers, just to make sure, pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water And when they saw that, they knew that he was dead. You see, because what they saw was a separation of the clot and serum. Now, I'm not a medic, but I've been, it's been explained to me that this is good medical evidence that he was dead. Um, because that kind of thing doesn't happen in the human body until, um, until somebody is actually dead. But you see, they didn't have that kind of medical knowledge at the time. They were simply writing what they saw because that's what happened. His whole insides were broken up from the beatings and clot and serum poured out. Jesus was dead. 
Jesus was dead, and because of this, he bore the full penalty of the law for our sin. And you know, if he hadn't been dead, then our salvation would be in doubt. Because the law of God required death. The wages of sin is death. So theologically, the death of Jesus was imperative too. But also for another reason. You see, Jesus' death and burial meant our own death and burial too. Jesus didn't just die for our sin, but he died with our sin. You know, Jesus was our scapegoat. He, he took our sin on himself. He experienced that terrible separation from the Father because of that, because there is a separation from a holy God because of sin. He took it on himself and he was buried with it in the grave. And this is a crucial part of what we are saved for when we put our trust in Jesus. Paul says that we were buried with him. When we put our faith in him, we are buried with him. When we acknowledge our need for a saviour, we are buried with him. Our sin is buried with him. This means that with him, we, we are in the grave. We go into the grave with him. Our old lives before Christ are united with him. All of our sin, all of the bad things that we've done, the regrets, the hurts, the disappointments, they're buried with him. And they're sealed behind that stone forever. That's the gospel. I mean, isn't that a good bit of news? The, the stuff I've done really is gone. The stuff I've done in the past is really forgotten when I've claimed my forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It really is buried in the grave. It can't be touched. It's behind this stone locked away. It's dead and buried and gone. Don't you wish you could have that? I wish I could start my life again and I wish I'd never done that. Well, that's what it's all about. It's gone. Buried with Christ. I don't, I don't know if you believe it. I mean, do you know that? Have you experienced the relief of that? Jesus died and was buried for and with our sin. And this means that our old lives really are gone forever. They no longer have a hold over us. Our sins really are taken away, far away. As far as life is to death. I mean, death and life are a long way apart. They don't cross over, or if they do, it's a bit spooky, isn't it? But they don't cross over. So why do we keep digging? I'll speak to some of you Christians. You know, why, do, why do we keep digging? It's buried, it's dead, it's gone. Why do we keep digging? Why do we, why do we try and rake things up? Why do we agitate at things? Why don't we just let it die? I feel like sometimes we, I'm speaking about myself, I'm not just saying it to you, but sometimes we just pick at something and make sure it's dead. Is it really gone, Lord? Have you really forgiven me? I remember I agonised with a particular issue in my life for years until somebody actually prayed for me and, and was able to say, God has really done that. You've just got to believe it. I've struggled with this. The devil likes to remind us too. Oh, remember when you did that? God doesn't. 
but he seems to. (laughs) Paul describes it somewhere else as a body of death that clings to us. It's like a corpse, the corpse of our old lives, and it stinks. The writer of the Hebrews talks about dead works and the cycle of continual saying sorry to God, sorry, sorry God, sorry God, when he's already dealt with it. Stop digging it up. Jesus died for our sin, and then he was buried with our sin. And that's where it needs to stay. And you might think, well, couldn't that then be the end of the gospel message? You know, punishment's been made, the price of death has been paid, there's no condemnation anymore because it's all dealt with. Is there any need, really, for this resurrection business? Because, you know, quite a lot of people can accept the death of Jesus, they're quite happy that he's buried, but when it comes to the resurrection, it starts to get a bit iffy. A man rises up from the dead. Well, yes, we need the resurrection, because if Jesus had stayed dead, then there would have been no victory over death. He would have got the same wages, you see, as the rest of us. Remember I said earlier that the wages of sin is death. That's what we get as a result. Well, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, then he would have got the same wages as the rest of us, making him no better than us. How can a man like that be a saviour to us? I mean, you can't be rescued, can you, by a drowning man? You need somebody standing on firmer ground who can pull you up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, I read it at the beginning of the meeting, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, you're sunk, you're drowned, you've had it, you're dead. We would still be in our sins. And all that Jesus' death would have shown us is that the only solution for our sins is to die. That's the only way we can deal with our sins. If we're dead, we won't sin. Great! But Jesus didn't come for that. We're relieved to know that Jesus didn't come to lead us into death and the grave as the ultimate solution for our sins. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Lots of life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus died so that we might have life, and so that we could leave our old lives behind in the grave and live differently. That's the gospel, in a nutshell. Death, burial, resurrection. So let's just talk about that then, the third and final uh, aspect of the gospel, that Jesus was raised. I'm just going to read the passage to you again. Because it's just fantastic. Paul writes this, he says, in verse 4, the second part of verse 4, he says, Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of him, at the time of writing, are still living, though some have died. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. 
And I just love the way that Paul writes this. It kind of spills out of him the excitement, the clarity that he has about it. It's definitely happening. He's absolutely certain. And then the evidence that he points to. All these other people have been witnesses and seen it too. Now we'll come on to the evidence in a minute. But for the moment, let's just think about the fact of the resurrection. That's what Paul is talking about. It's actually happened. And this is crucial for all sorts of reasons, but mostly because this, more than anything, proves who Jesus was. Because only God, the giver of life, could rise from the dead. Only God could have that power. And you know, no other religious leader before or since has ever dared to make such a promise or their followers made such a ludicrous claim. It's crazy. Either it happened, or it's just crazy. You know, Buddha is dead. Muhammad, he's dead. Guru Nanak is dead. Jesus Christ, alive. Crazy. Or true. The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It's the key reason for our hope. You know, the resurrection is the hope of a new life, actually. Firstly, it's the hope that I can have a new life. Otherwise, I stay dead. I stay in the grave. I don't finish with my old life. I'm not forgiven for my sin. If I don't rise up again, I'm still dead. The resurrection is the hope of a clean slate. It's the hope of a new beginning. By the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus up from the dead, we too, by faith in Jesus, can live a resurrected life. No longer separated from God by our sin, but united with him, at one with him, at peace with God. Isn't that wonderful to be at peace with God, not to be afraid anymore that one day when I meet God, I'm going to have a problem. Right now, I can be at peace with God, I can know peace with God. But also, the resurrection is the hope of our own resurrection. Because you see, one day we will all die. Anybody doubt that at all? It'd just be interesting if you did. Uh, you die tonight, Becky going to get you later. That's my daughter, it's all right. Not literally. <laughs> but you know, we all get old. We all get sick. We all die. But the resurrection gives us the certainty of life after death. Because Jesus returned from the grave with a new and glorified body to show us what's going to follow for us after death. And it was a really cool body as well. He could walk through walls and everything. And it will never get sick or get old. There's hope beyond the grave. As we were singing earlier, death has lost its sting. (coughs) Then there's the evidence of the resurrection as well. I'm just going to touch on that briefly because actually to do this thoroughly could take several weeks. 
So I'm going to do it very quickly. Some of the evidence that there is for the resurrection. Paul mentions, first of all, the number of people that saw Jesus after he was raised. Actually, if you look through the Gospels, Jesus appeared on 11 separate occasions and on one occasion to to more than 500 people at the same time. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. That's what Paul says. And then there was Jesus' absence from the tomb. It's a bit of a problem. How do you explain that? And all sorts of theories have been put forward why Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb that it was meant to be in, but none of them are very convincing. The first one is that Jesus didn't die, actually. Uh, He recovered in some way in the cool of the tomb. But I've already explained that people don't generally survive Roman floggings or crucifixion. And in any event, there's this clot and serum thing which I talked about earlier. Jesus was dead. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one, there's the small matter of the stone blocking the tomb. It weighed about two and a half tons, one and a half tons. It was sealed from the outside and it had armed guards keeping watch. So there's a few problems here about Jesus could have got out of there, never mind surviving the crucifixion and beating up all the guards as well. And other people said, well, maybe the disciples stole the body. So they began the rumor that Jesus had been resurrected. But leaving aside the fact that the tomb was guarded, it's psychologically improbable that such a depressed, disparate, and disillusioned group of people could have carried out such a plan. The energy that it would have taken after their disappointment and disillusionment is beyond any of us. Others have said, well, maybe the authorities took the body. Well, that's the least probable of it, because if they had the body, all they would have to do when people were saying Jesus is risen from the dead was say, no, here he is, here's the body. And it's interesting, I don't know, um, you remember the news story, was it, how many years ago now when Saddam Hussein was executed? how keen the authorities were to show his body to the world. And the BBC very kindly blanked bits out, but people wanted to see the body. You'd have thought it was similar. The Jewish authorities could have just shut up all the rumours and crushed the Christians easy as anything if they had been able to produce the body. Others say, well, maybe robbers stole the body. Well, that's the least likely of all because... um, I haven't actually talked about the empty tomb because the tomb was not empty. It was just that Jesus' body was absent. It wasn't empty because actually when when the stone was removed, which, by the way, wasn't removed for Jesus to come out, the angels removed it so that you could see in that the, Jesus wasn't there. But when they went into the tomb, they found some very valuable things in there, which was uh, the grave clothes. They're actually quite valuable, and if there had been any robbers, they wouldn't have been left there. So none of these things are very satisfactory reasons for Jesus' body not having been found in the tomb, other than the fact that he was actually risen from the dead. And then there's the immediate impact that his visits that followed the resurrection had on the people, this group of disciples who were discouraged, depressed, fearful, hiding. And then something occurred that totally changed them, so they went around telling everybody, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. Moments before, they'd been locked up, shut up, and terrified that they were going to be killed because of their association with Jesus. What happened? What changed that? 
And then there's the birth and the growth of the church that followed after that. I mean, that's pretty amazing that this group of basically fishermen and a couple of tax collectors had the success that they had and the influence that they had. Now, over a period of 300 years, the church exploded right across the known world. What kind of power is that? And up until even today, Christianity is still the largest and the fastest grown religion. Look, Jesus is alive. He's going everywhere. All over the world, Jesus is alive. And people know it, that Jesus is alive. There's no disputing it, and this is the gospel message. Jesus died, he was buried, and now he lives. This is our hope, this is our salvation, this is our conviction. And I want to just remind you of the gospel today. I want to tell you about the gospel message. It's the most important message that you will hear. Hold on to it. Stand firm on it. And not only has he been risen, not only has Jesus risen from the dead, he's also ascended and he's glorified and he's by, by the power of, the mighty power of God. And even now the Bible teaches us that he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, far above all rule and authority and dominion and every title that can be given. Not only now, but also forever. That's where he is now, seated in heaven, Jesus. So be reminded of the gospel. Apply it to your life. Claim forgiveness. You know, if you've been walking around in condemnation, you can claim forgiveness. If you've sinned terribly, it doesn't matter what you've done, if you don't know Jesus, you can claim forgiveness and say, God, Jesus, I don't get all this, but you know the things I've done, I need forgiveness. Look at them all, forgive me, Lord Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. Claim forgiveness, accept burial. Stop itching at it. Stop trying to dig it up again. Stop playing with a corpse, it stinks. Leave it there, buried, dead, finished, over. And live in the resurrection. New life. No looking back. Amen. Happy Easter. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, this is just the most powerful message in the whole world. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would stay on us and remind us continually by the Holy Spirit of the powerful gospel, which has the most incredible power to change our lives. Lord Jesus, just rest on us right now. As we as we leave today, I pray, Lord, your presence would go with us. I pray you continue to speak to us. I pray, Lord, even as we go home tonight, that we would, we would think about you, that we would dream about you, that we would get to know you, each one of us for ourselves, and know you better than we do. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the power to live in all your resurrected power. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.
I don't know, maybe you don't know Jesus yet, and and I just want to give you the opportunity to come and talk to me about that. If you'd like to ask any questions uh, about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Knowing Jesus is the most wonderful thing in the world. I can recommend it completely. If you don't know him yet, you need to get to know Jesus. So I'd love to talk to you about it. Okay.